Good morning, and welcome to our Sunday service on this beautiful day. Please turn to number 449, and we'll begin our worship with Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. To worship this morning is Psalm 23, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, because it gets one word right on, and it's a good translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. 
Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That's the psalm of the shepherd David who became king. Let us continue our worship number 336, Jesus Loves Even Me. God, we are gathered here together this morning to worship you. We ask that your spirit would fill this place, fill our hearts, push away all distractions and whatever we may be carrying of of the world and may have brought in with us. Help us to focus on you through the music, through the prayers, through the word, and through the sacrament. And may we leave here better equipped to serve you in this world and to bring people to Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. And now, if you will take your bulletin inserts, we will pray together this prayer of confession written by the Puritan minister, uh, Richard Baxter. Most great, most just, and gracious God, You are of pure eyes and to behold iniquity, but you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess 
that we are sinful by nature and that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbors. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness. We have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in him. But we have turned away. We have run into temptation. And the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess you alone are our hope. Make us your children and give us the spirit of your Son, our only Savior. Amen. And as our assurance of pardon, we have the words of the Apostle John. Many, many years after he laid up against Jesus' side at the Last Supper, and he was writing to scattered, persecuted Christians, and he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God always going above and beyond whatever we ask or expect if we come to him in humble, sincere faith. And now um, let us go to the Lord in, in prayer. Covenant God, thank you that you are faithful to keep your covenant with us, which is now complete in Christ, even when we are not. Thank you for sending your son to live among us as one of us. Yet he was also fully God, righteous, just, and, and also a friend of sinners. The good shepherd calling sheep to follow him that they may be forgiven, and that they may learn to obey all he has commanded by your great grace. We ask you to help us fulfill his call on all of us to be used by you to make disciples of those we encounter every day by being faithful witnesses to the Savior in all we do and say. And this morning... Help us to realize how big and diverse this world is. But still, we all have the same basic need to receive a new heart and a new spirit, your spirit of truth. Now we pray for Carol's family and friends and also for Ellie's family and friends. We ask you to comfort them and reduce their grief as time goes by and increase their good memories of these women. We pray for Allie out on Cape Cod this morning. We thank you that the weather has cleared, and we pray you would bless the wedding she's attending. We pray for Elin and Rebecca and Ella. Uh, we pray for my sister, who as of tomorrow has been waiting 125 days for an operation. We pray for Christine, Sally, and Jimmy, Peter, Linda, Billy, Norgi, and their mother. Uh, we pray for Charlie as he works with Sweetwater to satisfactorily 
satisfactorily fix the problem in this new mixer. It looks like there is something that will work now. And we pray for Stephen as he shares what you are doing in his life and ministry. We pray for his family and all the people where he lives. And we pray you will guide and direct him as he speaks to us and teaches us from your word. And please be present in a real way as we partake of the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ. Unite us with you and with each other so that we will go forth filled with your spirit in order to discern and do your will. And now we come together with one heart and one voice in the word Jesus taught his followers praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And um, now we will sing number 82, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. this morning uh, to have Stephen Sutton with us. Um, Welcome back to Clinton. Uh, I believe you grew up across the parking lot here, and so we're looking forward to what you have to say about what the Lord is doing in Cambodia and 
bringing the word to us. So, Stephen Sutton. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Or as, as I would say in Cambodia, um, you know, I noticed when I walked in the bathroom a few minutes ago that uh, the 11th commandment was posted there, thou shalt wash thy hands. So that's a good, good reminder. And it reminds me of the uh, 10th beatitude that says, blessed are the fre- flexible for they shall not be broken. So uh, we can keep those two things in mind. Anyway, um, I'm happy to be with you again this morning, and I guess most, if not all of you, already know me, but if you don't, I'm Stephen Sutton. I was born and raised here in Central Mass, Lancaster, went to, yes, went to church across the parking lot here when I was growing up, um, and uh, lived here until 2009 when the Lord led me to attend Bible college full-time out in California. And then after Bible college, the Lord led me to go to Cambodia as a full-time missionary working with an organization called Water of Life uh, there in the, in the capital city of, of Phnom Penh in Cambodia. Um, if just a, a note here, if anybody wants to know a bit more about Water of Life, uh, Water of Life is more than just me and my family. I do have a few uh, brochures here if anyone's interested. You can see that afterwards. But um, So primarily I was, I was living in, the, in Cambodia, in the capital city there, working with three children's homes in the city. I also made frequent trips out to uh, the countryside to some of the villages to do Bible teaching and work with local fellowships in the, in the countryside. Uh, ultimately, I ended up meeting a young Cambodian woman, Annie, while we, we were both in the city. We got married in 2013, so it's been 10 years now this year. Unfortunately, she couldn't be with me on this trip, but my son Angel is. He's six. So we, in 2015, we moved out to a village about 60 miles outside the city, way out in the countryside. We've been living and working there ever since. And we currently have uh, three children born to us, plus five more in the house with us for, from one reason or another. So uh, currently eight in the house. And right now, I just want to... Uh, uh, kind of quickly run through, and I've, I've broken this down into seven main points, give you a little detail about uh, what we're doing uh, with our ministry. And I do have a set of pictures that goes with this. Unfortunately, I can't uh, put them up on a screen and show them to you, but if anybody wants to see what I'm talking about, you can see me after the service, and I've got a set of pictures you can look at uh, that'll show you pretty much what I'm talking about. So what do we do? Well, uh, a lot of things. Uh, we do Uh, teach English classes uh, free of charge for uh, local children in our our neighborhood where we live. And the times and and, uh, details change from time to time, but we currently have two classes, a beginner and an intermediate class. And these English classes remain popular with local children, and it's a great way to get to know the students and to invite them also to our children's ministry. So the children's ministry, uh, you could call it a Sunday school. It's just not in church, and it's not usually on Sunday. Uh, One of them is on Sunday. But um, I do this in four different villages. Uh, So it's a a once-a-week program in four villages. All four are doing well. And in recent months, we've had a, a number of new children start to attend. Some of them have shown genuine interest in the gospel. Uh... Some of those have professed faith in Christ, and uh, I got one more thing to show you here, because sometimes, uh, so what I do is I'll, I'll, uh, you know, we'll sing some children's songs, then I teach a lesson from the Bible, and I got this picture, you know, picture to to look at related to our lesson. Well, then afterwards, all the children get their own 
black and white coloring page and they get to color it in. So they love doing it. It's funny, they'll, they'll ask me, like, I'll see them on other days, and they'll be like, oh, are we coloring pictures today? I'm like, no, not today. It's, you know, two more days or whatever. Well, sometimes some of them will write me little messages on their, on their pages after they color, and I, I love seeing, it's like a little window into their heart. So I had to show you this one. Uh, this was colored by a 10-year-old boy. His name is Meng, and he wrote on his page, he put his name, the names of three of his best friends, and then he put this. He put, or Jesus loves these four so much. And I, I, I looked at that, and I thought, that's wonderful. So I wrote him a little message back. I, I wrote him, Jesus loves you, and I do too. So, um, you know, out of everything that we do, I think this is, this is probably the thing that I enjoy the most, doing the children's ministry uh, at these four villages. And it's I would say, if I had to pick one thing, this is probably uh, the one thing we do that has the greatest eternal impact, you know, teaching all these kids uh, the truth from, from early childhood. And I mean early childhood. We get, we get kids of all ages that come, some, some as young as months old. Anyway, that's another story. Um, keep, so keep that ministry in prayer. Uh, there was, in one village, I almost... Uh, I almost uh, temporarily suspended the, the ministry there late last year due to uh, trouble with, with a regular place to meet. We're just meeting under a big tree in somebody's yard, and it was becoming a bit difficult, a bit irregular. Sometimes we could be there, sometimes we couldn't. So I almost suspended it there in that village. But wouldn't you know, like at the beginning of this year, so like just, just after, uh, after this, um, a bunch of new new kids started coming in that village, and I, and now pro- that particular village is probably like the most vibrant out of all the the locations where we do the children's ministry. So I can't stop now. <laughs> so, but do pray though. We need we need a more regular, permanent place to meet. Um, we also do additional uh, assistance, uh, various assistance uh, to children and their families in the community. And one thing that we've been doing regularly for about eight years now is at the start of every school year, we distribute backpacks and school supplies, to, mostly to the kids in our children's ministry. Um, last year, we had at least 160 kids on the list. So uh, we, we do hope to keep doing this every year. I get to put a cap on it, I think. It keeps growing. But um, there's a definite need in the communities we work in, and the kids love it, and their families appreciate it too. So uh, many other many other uh, things that we do. I can't list them all um, to you right now, but the local church is also doing well. We attend a local church. I'm very thankful at this time, uh, at this point, uh, that the pastor is good and solid. And at this point, there's finally a, uh, a good, solid leadership team uh, of guys in the church uh, so that the pastor doesn't have to do everything himself. And uh, there's the main church and also three other locations, kind of satellite locations or home groups where they meet for worship. So our family's active in the church. I do teach a midweek Bible study at the main church. Um, Also uh, rotate with the pastor. At this point, he's got me and one of the other uh, guys in leadership rotating. So once a month, I'll teach uh, the Sunday morning service at the main church and fill in occasionally at other, other locations. And last year, we did have another baptism. Do that about once a year. Um, and again, a one, wonderful time. Um, 
seeing more people get baptized. And once again, I had the privilege of seeing among those getting baptized a few more of our students, a couple of our own children, uh, and a nephew get baptized. So that was great. Um, Medical outreach, uh, that's something that I mentioned before when I was here before. I've been doing it regularly for many years. Uh, and, it, and it seemed last, last year like the chances of doing it again were probably, uh, probably pretty slim after the pandemic when everything got shut down. But sure enough, the Lord opened that door again. So in January of this year, we were able to do another uh, medical outreach where we go out, uh, bring you know, a medical team to, to remote more remote villages, um, share the gospel with the people, uh, provide medicine and, and uh, doctors for uh, some of their basic medical needs. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be doing that again, although at this point it looks like uh, there, might, there might be an issue with it. It, it. Everything checks out great on the Cambodian side, but this time it looks like there might be a lack of uh, medical personnel uh, from, this, uh, from the state side to go over uh, and, and do it. So we'll, we'll see, but pray, pray for that too, please. A couple more things that I uh, do regularly, although kind of taken a back burner at this point as our local ministry's grown and flourished. Um, I still do occasionally uh, go to the city, work with street kids uh, there, uh, partner with an organization that, that is dedicated to working with street kids in the city. Also make occasional visits to a Buddhist temple, um, and meet with some of the young monks there. This, interestingly, this is not the same one that I'd uh, been going to years ago that I had mentioned in past, past visits. This is a different one. And again, I, for, for time's sake, I shouldn't get into detail, but uh, it's a, a place I used to like to go walking at the foot of a mountain, and it was always very quiet. But it's not quiet anymore. They get about 20 young boys there who are Buddhist monks. And... Uh, uh, long story short, they, they came running over when I when I went there the first time that I uh, found them there. Uh, they they wanted to talk, wanted to you know. I, I ended up uh, sitting down on a big rock along the along the mountain trail behind the temple there and uh, showing them a gospel booklet. <laughs> They'd heard heard that I had it. They wanted to see it, so we went through that. It's an amazing thing. Just one of those things where from time to time the Lord will open up this door and you just walk through it it's completely unexpected so i got pictures of that too if you want to see um anyway so uh future ministry i there's something that's been on my heart for years now that i really wanted to do i see a great need for in the rural villages where we live and it would be a big project to implement it it never seemed possible up to this point uh, but I think the Lord's showing me that it's time to step forward in faith and start, you know, start preparing, start doing it, trusting that he'll work out the details, provide the resources and, and to do it. So basically, there's a Bible verse that comes to mind all the time when I'm working out there in the villages. It's Proverbs 29, verse 15, which says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And you know what I see out there in the villages so often is I see children left to themselves. They're just kind of, you know, wandering around the village. Outside of school hours, they don't really have anything, anything positive to do uh, or anything. They just kind of wander around, you know, play with their friends. Uh, no, no supervision, no guidance, no an- anything whatsoever. Or the other, the other alternative increasingly now is they'll be sitting at home on a phone because everybody the world over now is connected to the internet pretty much so just be sitting on the phone for hours and hours 
every day at home. Again, no supervision, no, you know, no parents taking, paying attention to what it is they're doing on, on there, just completely unsupervised, um, you know, no, no protection from anything on the Internet. So in either, either way, it's not good. Um, and uh, I, I really want to, to provide a place uh, a, a good place, a safe place, you know, where children of various ages can come outside of school hours, uh, both learn and play under the supervision of responsible adults. And along with this, I also have a, a real burden for some of the young boys who I, I've met a number of them who uh, either, you know, orphans, they, they don't have a father, either he died or he's completely out of the picture, or one thing or another, so, so many of them out there who have no one, you know, no one in the home to model for them how to become good men. And you know they're not going to go down a good path uh, if they don't have some intervention. So, uh, so that's another aspect of this along with it. So, of course, all the children who come to this place will, uh, you know, will learn the truth there because everything that we do is Christ-centered. Uh, a good friend of mine once, once uh, made the comment, that if you don't meet people's spiritual needs, then anything you do to meet their physical needs ultimately is of no value. Uh, you got to meet the spiritual needs first because that really is the greatest need. And we don't have time to go into that, but I firmly believe that, and so that's, that's a, a goal of everything that we do. So, whoops. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't have time at this point to go into any more detail about, about these things, but that just gives you a, a brief summary of what, what we're doing and, and the vision for future ministry as well. Um, I mean, the ministry continues to thrive and grow. I'd be happy to share more details with anyone who's you know, interested. Uh, we definitely appreciate your prayers for all the things mentioned and for our family, for the people of Cambodia in general. And we're going to keep sharing the gospel. I, I firmly believe we don't have much time left on this earth. The Lord's coming for us soon, but we're going to keep sharing the gospel and serving others as long as the Lord keeps the door open uh, until he returns to take us home to heaven. So with that, with that said, let's move on to uh, our uh, scripture teaching today. That's the primary reason why we're gathered here, isn't it? So uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 18 this morning. And you know what? Let's just pray really, really quick before we get into this. So let's pray. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning, a beautiful morning. Thank you for this time together in your word. And Lord, while so many people are busy uh, going out places and doing so many things and having a good time, uh, Lord, there's things and places we'd like to, to go to. But Lord, this is the most important thing, to gather together in your name, uh, to worship you, to read your word to learn about you, to focus on you. And Father, help us to be focused on you every, every minute of every day in our lives, Lord, and everything that we do and say to, to bring honor and glory to you. So I pray, Lord, that what I do and say right here, right now, would bring honor and glory to you, uh, that you would speak through me and through uh, your word and the Bible, and that uh, you would fill us with wisdom and with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and all discernment. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, although, just to kind of set the tone for, for what we're going to be uh, going over, I want to read something to you in Mark chapter 10 first, just a few verses 
uh, in Mark 10. This is the well-known story of when Jesus received the little children. So I'll just read that for you. You can listen. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. So that kind of sets, sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today. So over in Matthew 18, this is when uh, Jesus and his disciples at this time, they were in uh, the town of Capernaum. That's a place where Jesus often went to teach and to stay. Uh, and the disciples had a burning question, something they thought about frequently, and they really wanted to know the answer. So verse 1 in Matthew 18, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, at this point, Jesus had, had already told his disciples twice that he was going to be arrested and mistreated and die. And the disciples were still concerned about who among them was going to be the greatest when Jesus set up his kingdom. And so Jesus began to teach them, teach his disciples about the heart and the mindset that we need to have if we want him to use us in his kingdom. The disciples at this point, they were still thinking like the world. You know, they still wanted to be first. They wanted the highest position. Uh, they wanted to rule over others, have others serve them. They didn't understand yet that in God's kingdom, it's not like that. The thinking and the, and the actions of the world, that leads to jealousy and strife and many other problems. And Jesus doesn't want his people to be that type of people. So he teaches us about the way to have real peace and happiness. And what is that? It's humble yourselves. Like it says in Mark 9.35, be the servant of all. I mean, think, think about that. Be the servant of all. To the world, that sounds so strange. It sounds backwards. I mean, it's the, it's the opposite of the way the world thinks and the way the world works. The world, in the world, it's put yourself forward, put yourself up above, above everyone else. You know, climb the ladder and get ahead of everybody else. Uh, but Jesus says, humble yourselves, be the servant of all. And Jesus knows that this is difficult for us to do. So in verse 2, he turns our attention to those who have a low position in society, uh, but are people who God places high value on, and that's children. So let's read verses 2 to 5 in Matthew 18. And again, I'll read it for you. He called a little child to him and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so... Jesus and his disciples are there. You know, there's so much. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14. There's so much in there. We're just going to scratch the surface of it today. Um, but so, so here the disciples want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus does what? He calls a little child over, picks him up. And then in verse 5, Jesus says something surprising. He said, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. 
So Jesus places high value on children. He says that when we receive children in his name, it's the same as if we're receiving him, Jesus himself, and not only receiving Jesus, but the Father as well, if you look in the other Gospels. And then starting in verse 6, Jesus moves on to talk about proper actions toward children, as well as avoiding temptation in general. And uh, you know what? I'm going to read up to verse 9 too, so 6, six to 9. Uh, Verse 6, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So some some pretty uh, strong words from Jesus there. At this point, Jesus continues the conversation with his disciples that started in verse 1. And he's still holding the child that he called over in verse 2. And I'm sure there must be other children uh, around him watching and listening to Jesus as he talks to his disciples. So when he starts talking about being careful not to lead children to sin, uh, you know, the disciples see a group of children right there. Because, you know, I guess you don't see it so much in modern American society, but in, in Cambodia where I live and in many other countries, you, you, you see this. I mean, very easy to picture. So in Cambodia, most children wander around the village pretty freely, and the children always like to come and uh, stand around looking whenever the adults are talking or doing something, working, whatever. And it, especially if there's some special event or there's anything going on that's different than you know, out of the ordinary, there's always a group of children standing around watching. And so everywhere Jesus went, you know, we know from the Gospels, everywhere he went, multitudes of people came to see him. And it's not just adults that's coming to see Jesus. There's children coming, coming and watching too. And uh, I mean, remember how Jesus fed, at one point he fed over 5,000 people using a few loaves of bread and, and two small fish. Well, where did that food come from? In, in John 6, 8, it tells us where that food came from. It came from a young boy who was there in the crowd who had followed Jesus that day. And there's no mention of any you know, parents or anybody that he, that he came with. Um, maybe his mom packed him a lunch if he brought that much food, but he probably just was on his own just following Jesus around that day. And I'm sure there were many other kids in the crowd too. So it's the same thing here. So when, when Jesus calls this little child over, uh, and picks him up, there's probably already a group of kids standing around there watching, as well as other adults and whatever. And, uh, and then here, when, when Jesus starts talking about the children, about, about being careful not to lead them into sin, the disciples see a group of children standing right there listening too. <coughs> so, um, you know, whenever children are watching us, they're learning. They, they may not be in school listening to a teacher, but they're learning a lot. Well, what, what do children learn when they, when they watch adults? They learn a lot of things. They learn how they should speak. They learn how they should act. They learn when to take offense and get angry with others. They learn what's right and what's wrong. They learn what's okay to do. They learn what they should think is funny and what's not funny. Um, you know, if, if the adults they're with are honest, they learn that they should be honest. 
If the adults they're with lie and deceive, well, they learn that they should lie and deceive others too. If the adults they're with show love to others, they'll learn to love others too. And if the adults they trust think Jesus is important, then they'll be interested in him too. But if those adults that they're with, that they trust, don't think Jesus is important, or they don't like Jesus, well, the kids are going to learn to do that too. So that means that we who are adults, or, or youth, not just adults, anyone who's big, you know, adults, we're all teachers whether we know it or not, when, whether we like it or not. And I'm not just talking to, to parents, mothers and fathers uh, who have small children at home. And any, anyone who has any sort of you know, relationship with children, it could be your own kids, it could be grandkids, it could be nieces and nephews, it could be students, children that you teach, whatever it is, wherever it is, you're a teacher. And, uh, you know, children learn more from us than, than they do from the, they learn from the, children, from the uh, teachers at school in many cases. They learn from us every day. And children don't, don't tend to think really deep thoughts like adults can. They quickly learn who they should trust. Whoever provides their basic needs, they trust that person. Whoever smiles to them and is nice to them, well, they quickly learn to trust that person. And whoever they trust, that's who they believe. Now, that's a really good thing if the person the child trusts is a good example and leads him and loves Jesus, leads him to Jesus. But if that person that the child trusts is a bad example, you know, leads him into sin, well, then what should be a good thing turns into a really bad thing. And the children who are messed up that way when they're little are extremely difficult to straighten out later. And I say that from experience working with kids over the years. So it's extremely important that we pay attention to children, love them, care for them, welcome them to come and learn about Jesus. And it's really important that we're aware of the example uh, that we show to the children, try to be a good example, lead them in a good path, following Jesus, not lead them in a bad path. Because what children understand about God is what they see in us. Does God love them? Well, they understand that he loves them if we show that we love him and care about them. Does he care about them? Is he good to them? They understand that he cares and he's a good God if they see that we care about them. And when you look in the Bible, Jesus always welcomed children to come to him. He considered them important. He didn't think they were interruptions or burdens. Uh, He thought that time spent with children was time that had value. And he never hurt them or said bad things to them, even in play. So he's our example. We should do as he did. And one more thing. So when, whenever the children come, and you know, wherever it might be, in your home or you know, at church or in an event, some event, a day in the park or whatever it is, um, let's be intentional about taking the opportunity to share the gospel with them and teach them about Jesus. You know, and, and it doesn't have to be a big you know, fancy program that you spend a lot of time, you know, just in any opportunity that you have. Because if children see that you really love them and care about them, they'll be quick to trust you. And if you always tell them the truth and you don't lie to them, then they'll easily believe what you tell them. You know, many people think it's okay to lie to children or, or that parents have the right to lie to their children. Sorry, that's not true. Uh, you know, lie, lying is sin every time. Doesn't matter who you're talking to. Uh, you can have fun with children. You can say silly things when you're playing with them. They like that. But don't lie to them. Because if you lie to them, then don't get your hopes up that they're going to believe you when you try to teach them about Jesus. But 
if that child knows that you always tell him the truth, even if it's not what he wants to hear, well, then when you tell him about Jesus, that child knows that you're not lying. What you're telling him is what you truly believe yourself. So, uh, verse 6, it says, Jesus says, uh, that whoever leads uh, a child into sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the sea. Now, that's pretty heavy, no pun intended. Uh, I mean, you think of a millstone. I, I remember growing up as a young boy going to visit my grandparents and, in New York, and my grandmother took us to see an, an old grist mill where they would grind the grain, and she showed us this giant stone, solid stone, like this big around with a hole in the middle. And, and she said, that's, that's a millstone where they would have two of them together and they'd grind the grain in there. So every time I read this verse, that's the mental picture I get seeing this giant millstone there. So think, I mean, think about that being tied around someone's neck and drop them into the middle of the ocean. That's uh, pretty, pretty serious. So, but Jesus says that would be better than leading a child into sin. Well, so better be careful. Now, if we've sinned, and even if we've led someone else to sin, even a child, God will still forgive that. I'm not saying he won't, but he will punish severely those those who lead children to sin. So we better be careful and not just keep doing it again. So whenever we're talking with friends or sitting there looking at something on the phone or, you know, whatever it is, just, just imagine if there's children around, just imagine that, that it's Jesus there that you're with. Um, and whatever you do or whatever you'd say to Jesus, well, that, that's what you should do there when the children are there present. Uh, in verses 8 and 9, so Jesus uh, speaks some strong words of warning against uh, temptation, and it's very important, uh, but we don't have the time to, to go into it in detail today, so we're going to kind of move on uh, to, to the part I, I want to focus on a bit here before we finish. Uh, which is the parable of the lost sheep in verses 10 to 14. This is one of my favorite parables and, and teachings of Jesus. So let's read verse 10 to 14. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. (laughs) Remember the the disciples' response and the passage you read in Mark chapter 10 when they saw all the children coming to Jesus? Disciples are like, oh no, look at all the little children coming now. Uh, The disciples at that point, they were still busy vying for a high position in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus was the chief. You know, he's the one who's over everybody. Nobody disputed that. He's the king. And you parents want what? You want want Jesus, the one with the highest position of all? You want the king to pick up your little children and play with them? No way. They're like, it's... It's, it's not appropriate. He's too busy. He's too important to be bothered with these little kids. Just go away. Take the children to play somewhere else. And that was the disciples' response. But when Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, it says he was greatly displeased or he was indignant. Uh, he was not happy. He did not want anyone to stop those children from coming to see him or send them away. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. You know, don't hinder them. 
He wanted the children to, to dare to come to him and to feel that he welcomed them, that he loved them. I mean, think about it. Can, can you picture this? Just all these little children coming to see Jesus and, you know, they're all happy and joyful. Hey, we're going to see Jesus. Come on. And suddenly they're told, hey, no, oh, no, go away. Jesus is too busy. He, he can't play with you. Go away. Go play somewhere. Well, what would they think? You know, they, they think that Jesus can't be bothered with them, that he doesn't like them or he doesn't want them to come. Uh, and then later, when those children grew up, do you think they would want to come looking for Jesus again? I think probably not. Um, you know, so when we're serving Jesus, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Uh, you know, we may not be working with kids. They may just run up and interrupt us. But you know what? The way we receive or don't receive children is so important. And if we're friendly, we welcome them. We show that we like them. They'll understand that this is how Jesus thinks of them too. And whether or not, you know, speaking of, of coming to church or to some, you know, program or event that we put on, you know, in Jesus' name, whether or not they keep coming regularly, they'll remember that Jesus welcomes all who come to see him. And when they're older, even if they haven't been coming regularly, but they have that, that memory, they remember they were welcomed when they came the first time. Well, they may, they may dare to come looking for Jesus again. So uh, verse 10 says, in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father. That's another awesome concept to think that in heaven, there's an angel representing every individual child on earth and that God, the father always pays attention to them. Uh, you know, when, when I see though, the way that so many children are treated and neglected or led astray, I think there must be a whole lot of sad faces on those angels every day. Uh, but yet there must also be a lot of rejoicing as well, because we know that the angels in heaven all rejoice when even one soul is saved. So uh, verse 14, we're kind of breezing right through this passage here. Uh, even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And that's another wonderful verse. Uh, we know from the Bible that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to receive salvation. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says that. Of course, that does not mean that everyone will receive salvation and end up in heaven because we know that God's given each of us the freedom to choose for ourselves whether to accept him or reject him. But here this truth is stated again, specifically in the context that talks about children. God wants every child to be saved. And uh, they, you know, they need salvation for their souls. So we need to seek them out. You know, who are they? Where are they? Find them, get to know them, befriend them. And of course, I'm, you know, you go through appropriate channels. I'm not saying, you know, go out on the street and <laughs> round up <laughs> children that you see, you know. You go, go, through, go through appropriate channels, obviously. But, but you know, find, and, and not just children, any, any lost soul. You know, we need to seek them and find them. It's a, Jesus used the parable of the lost sheep. We're talking about the, the lost lambs, the lost sheep out there. And that's why I title this message, Bringing the Lambs to Jesus. So, you know, who are they? Where are they? Find them. Befriend them. Make sure that the things you do and you say to this, this lost person are helping to pull him toward the shepherd, toward Jesus. Don't go stray off into the wilderness with him, you know. Um, but again, verse 14, we, we see the term these little ones used over and over again in the passage here. 
we know Jesus is, is talking spiritually. So when he refers to these little ones, uh, he very well may mean any person whom the world considers insignificant or unimportant. It doesn't necessarily mean only children. Uh, but having said that, we do know that God places great value on children. And this passage quite obviously is in the context of, of, of uh, dealing with and, and speaking about children. So, I, you know, I firmly believe that God does indeed want all children to be saved, and they need the gospel. So, God also places great importance on teaching children about his word and his ways from a very young age. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 addresses that, and I guess for time's sake I won't read that, but read it at home, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. It's a great verse to keep in mind, uh, particularly for anyone who does have children or works with, teaches children. And, uh, yeah, you know, another... I'm running out of time, aren't I? Um, (laughs) It's okay. Uh, Another plug here, though, for sharing the gospel with children early in childhood. I I was checking around online, and I found this website called Faithful Motherhood, and it states that children are most open to the gospel between the ages of four to nine, but they're still open to it in this crucial next four years, ages 10 to 13. And you know what? In my experience uh, working with children over the years, uh, I found that the the majority of the children who take a great interest in Jesus uh, want to put their faith in him. It does seem to fit this pattern. Uh, You know, I haven't kept detailed statistics on this, but I would say that uh, of all the children who come from non-believing homes, which is most of the children that we work with, uh, who first hear the gospel at our children's ministry program, those who make a profession of faith uh, typically are between the ages of about 8 to 10, uh, most often. And another thing along with that, you know, and this doesn't go just for children, this is for other, you know, adults as well, or youth as well, uh, relationships are important. Um, you know, uh, having a good relationship, because some people go to the wrong extreme, and, and you know, I, you hear about relationship evangelism, I think it's a, a wonderful thing if it's done the right way. Having a relationship, a positive relationship with somebody is not going to save them. You need more than that. But uh, having said that, you're a whole lot more likely to win someone to Christ if you have a good relationship with that person. Um, it, it's, it's so important. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, you know, people and children in particular, much more re- likely to respond to the truth if they have a good positive relationship with the person telling them the truth and showing them as an example. Now, of course, developing good relationships, it requires spending quality time with that person. And, you know, meeting once a week for a Bible study or other program, that's a great start. But ideally, you need more than that to have a a real working relationship. And that's probably the hardest part in our modern world where everybody seems to be busy every minute of every day. Uh, You don't even have time to really think to yourself anymore. Now everybody's constantly bombarded with, you know, messages and notifications from the internet all day, every day. It's not just in America or the Western world. It's, it's everywhere. Um, So it's a hard, a hard thing to do, but you know, you won't, you won't regret it. Uh, if you do take the time, it requires self-sacrifice, you know, to really be able to spend time with someone and build a relationship with them. But you won't regret it if you do. Uh, I'd love to talk more about this point, but we're out of time. So, but you know, when you spend time with people, 
the more time you spend with them, there'll be more opportunities along the way to tell them more of the truth or to show them a good example. And particularly in the context with working with, with kids, you know, you get these, these wonderful teaching moments that are so valuable. Well, take advantage of them whenever you, you, you can. You know, the more time you spend, it, it just it, it boils down to that. The more time you spend with someone, the more of those teaching opportunities you'll have. Uh, and you don't have to force them. They'll come naturally. But again, it just requires an investment of time. But back to our text here. So uh, I'm just going to read the last verse again. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So, you know, let's apply this to ourselves. How, how far are you willing to go to seek and to save a lost soul? And I don't mean geographic distance. You know, if God does send you to Cambodia or to Zimbabwe, or to wherever, that's wonderful. Go. You know, go for it. Or if you want to partner with those who, who have gone to faraway places, both in prayer or in finances or whatever it is, support their ministry, that's a great thing to do too, and it's needed. But, but don't forget that there are lost souls around you every day, you know, right in the community, uh, possibly among your relatives, very, very well could be. So how far will you go to seek and to save a lost soul? You know, how much of your time will you sacrifice to look for? I mean, it, think about the parable here. You go, you, it takes time to go look for a lost sheep on the mountains in the wilderness. You know, it, t- it takes time, takes effort. How far will you go? How much time will you sacrifice uh, to look for and then build relationships with these people? You know, how much are you willing to sacrifice? How much personal discomfort and inconvenience are you willing to endure to bring even one lost lamb to the shepherd. I, I got a kind of cute example that goes along with that, but I don't have time to give it to you now. But, uh, but you know, so that's between you and God. But just remember the great commission that he's given us to share the gospel. It's for all of us to fulfill, not just for a few select, you know, select few that he's called to faraway places. And what Jesus says here in Matthew 18 that we've been reading, this also is for, uh, he's saying to all of us as well, not just to a few. Our time on earth is short. You know, speaking of, in general, of, of our human lives on earth, comparatively speaking, they're short, <laughs> you know. Um, like it says, I think, in the Psalms that, that, you know, our life is like a breath, you know, that passes away, or like, like dew on the grass that just is here and gone. But, uh, but not just our individual lives. The, the, the time that this whole earth has left is short. Um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe Jesus is coming for us very soon. Uh, it's not that hard to see. Uh, if you read the Bible, study the Bible, and you watch what's going on in this world, it's not that hard to see. We're coming to the end. Uh, but you know what? We need to keep working until he comes. So let's make good use of the time and the abilities, the resources that he has given us uh, to do things that have eternal value now that won't pass away. Well, in closing, I just want to revisit the account I started with in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus received all the children. And uh, in verse 16, it says, he took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. And the children who came to see Jesus that day, they knew clearly that he wanted them to come. He received them, welcomed them, he loved them. And I think there were a lot of new believers that day among those children who came, and they never forgot Jesus from that day. 
And so I want all the children who come, whether it's to our church or to some event that we do or wherever it is that we meet in Jesus' name, I want them to know that he receives them too. He doesn't ever despise them or reject them. So let's seek those lost lambs and bring them to the shepherd. And we're going to close with that. So I'll turn it over to Pastor Gary. All right. Well, that's something I think we all needed to hear. And now, as we prepare our hearts for communion, let's sing number 245, We Are the Reason. everyone have uh, a communion kit? As we get ready to have communion, we will now share our responsive reading. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, and you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed. Come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among all his community through the centuries and shares with us now. May one in Christ and one with each other we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. And before we partake, let us pray. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare 
that he is Lord of all. And we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, this bread may be for us the body of Christ and this cup the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the world and to you, one holy and eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give praise and glory now and forever. Amen. And now let us partake of the elements. We have so much to be grateful to Jesus for. For our last um, hymn, let us sing number 309, Redeemed. And not only us, but let us let this be our prayer that everyone God intends to save may also be redeemed too. 309. Benediction, our good word, uh, comes from the first epistle of 
Peter. And uh, I like all the books of the Bible, but I particularly love this one and what it has to say about suffering and faith. For you have been called to this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Amen. That's a good word. And let us close with the chorus number 244, Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, no.